live as children of light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and and in his his mighty mighty power. power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. Expose them. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm. All right. Well, hey, we are in week three of this series that we've been calling Dangerous Living. And so if you're just joining us or you're just catching us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us on live stream right now and it's your first time, uh, thank you so much for being here. Glad to have you. And uh, what we're doing in this series is we're actually working our way through one passage of the Bible. So this whole series is kind of based on this one passage of scripture. And the place that we've actually been looking is in Ephesians chapter six. And so I wanna encourage you and invite you right now, if you got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open that up and get with me to Ephesians chapter six. So we're gonna be spending our whole time here today. So it'd be great if you had your Bible, go ahead and open that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can grab one of the Bibles under the chairs if you're in the room. And you can find that on page 817. Uh, in the Bibles that are here in the chairs. And then also, let me say, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to take one of ours. We'd love for you to have a physical copy that you could call your own. So Ephesians 6 is where we're gonna go. And so as you're getting there and, uh, and turning to Ephesians chapter 6, the reason that we said that we wanted to take really five weeks and look at really only eight verses together is because this passage of scripture contains within it um, really kind of the, the central teaching It's really the most concise, most consolidated place in all of scripture where it talks about the topic of spiritual warfare. And so that's right. That's what we're talking about in this series. This series is all about spiritual warfare, which I know uh, can be a strange topic to some of us, can seem strange. It's also a very neglected topic. And so my guess is that maybe even for some of you who grew up around church or grew up in church, it's very possible that you've went through your whole life and you've never heard a sermon or a sermon series on this topic. And that's because um, it's just one of those topics that doesn't get a lot of airtime. And kind of understandably, it's because it's a little weird, right? It's kind of a strange thing uh, to be talking about. In fact, you might be a person who didn't grow up in the church. Maybe you're someone who's here today and you're kind of exploring Christianity, or maybe you're someone who's watching and someone invited you and you're still trying to figure out kind of the whole Christian thing. And by the way, if that's you, um, let me just say real quick, we say this all the time, we really genuinely count it an honor and a privilege uh, that if you're exploring Christ, that you would let us be part of that process. And so we just really value that. But for, for, for you, if you're a person who's exploring Christianity, you might be thinking to yourself, Spiritual warfare, man, that's really weird. Like, what did I just get myself into? Like, is this one of those weird churches? And and I can understand that, because like we said, it can seem like a strange topic. And yet, if you take the Bible seriously, you cannot ignore this this topic. It's everywhere throughout the scripture. The Bible's gonna speak in many different places, in many different ways, about this battle, about this spiritual warfare that does exist. And so, really what we've been saying in this series is we've been saying that I think when you look into the world that we live in, um, my guess, and especially even right now, when we look into the world in which we live in, I think all of us have this, 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 this sense, we all have this suspicion that there's something more going on than meets the eye, that there's, there's something more contributing to what we see than simply that which is empirical, than simply that which is analyzable, than just that which we can which we can kind of delineate with our senses. It seems like there's another force that's at play. I think we we would look, many of us would say, even when we look at the the struggles that exist in our own life, 
that it seems like, we have the suspicion, it feels like there's something more going on behind the scenes that's contributing to the struggles that we face. And let me just say that if you've ever had that suspicion before, that the Bible is actually going to affirm that. And the Bible is actually going to come in and it's going to give language and it's going to give answers to that. And it's going to say, yes, that is true. There is more going on than meets the eye. There is war. There is a war that's happening. And the Bible is going to help us kind of put language to that. In fact, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, uh, the introductory week, we actually spent the entire time just giving an overview of what does the Bible teach about the nature of this battle. And so we talked about that. We discovered three things. So this is just kind of a recap. We discovered that first off, the Bible's gonna say this battle is spiritual. And that this is a spiritual battle. The Bible's gonna say in Ephesians that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, uh, but there is a spiritual component. There's a unseen contributing force to the struggles that we face in this life. The second thing we said is this. We said that this battle, the Bible's gonna teach us, is methodical. It's methodical. And what we mean by that is that this idea of spiritual warfare is not just a poetic expression that is actually talking about a very real reality, uh, that there is a real enemy, that Satan is real, that there is an organized structure that the Bible's going to tell us that's operating in unseen places. That might sound really weird to some of you, but we see that all throughout scripture. And the third thing we said is this, we said the battle's personal. It's actually a very personal battle. It's not just happening out there. It's not just happening in the abstract. We said it's a very real battle. It's deeply personal. In fact, the Bible is going to tell us that the primary battleground in which this battle takes place is actually right between our ears. It's in how we think. It's how we see the world. It's how we understand what is true and what is not true. But that is really the place of the battle. So we talked about that in week one. Then last week, if you were here, we actually spent the entire week looking at one simple phrase in Ephesians chapter six, and we looked at this idea of the devil's schemes. And basically, we said Ephesians is gonna tell us that we have an enemy and that we do not need to be ignorant of how he operates. The Bible actually tells us quite a bit of how the devil works. And so we talked about that last week. We discovered this. We said that the enemy is an opposer, that the enemy, that Satan, he opposes everything that God wants to build in our lives and everything that God wants to do through our lives. He opposes. We said that he's the accuser, that he is the accuser. He wants to accuse God. He wants to accuse you. And he wants to accuse everyone else around you. He is the voice of accusation. And then we said, number three, that he's also a deceiver. Here's what Jesus said about him. Jesus said that he's, he's a liar. He's been a liar from the very beginning, that when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, and that he's the father of lies. And so his whole goal is that he wants to take what God said, and he wants to twist it, and he wants to contort it, and he wants, he wants us to believe that what God says is good is bad, and what God says is bad is good. And that's what he's after. And so we talked about that last week. Now, let me just say, this is all recount. So if you missed the last couple of weeks, and, uh, and you want to go back and, and uh, listen to that, that might be a, uh, to your advantage. Um, so you can do that on our website, our app, our podcast. You can watch or listen to that. That's all available for you. But today, as we continue looking at this passage together, today we're going to start talking about this question. This is actually this week and then for the next two weeks. And the question we're going to think about is this. Okay, so if that's real, right, if, this, if, everything, if everything we just said is real, so there's a battle, okay, and it's spiritual and it's methodical and it's personal, and there's an enemy, and he's an opposer, and he's an accuser, and he's a deceiver. Okay, if that's true, then what am I supposed to do about that? Like, what am I, like, practically speaking, like, in real life, how am I supposed to fight a battle like that? What am I supposed to do? So that's what we're going to talk about, and that's what Ephesians is going to help us with, okay? So let's, let's take a look back at our passage again. We're going to start off in verse 10, and what I want you to notice here today is that in verse 10, that in this whole passage, as it relates to spiritual warfare, the Bible is only going to give you and I, for those, of us, for, for those of us who follow Jesus, it's only going to give us two commands. That's it. So what's our part in, spiritual, in this spiritual battle? He's going to say there's two things. There's two things we need to do. And what are they? Well, you'll notice the first one is right here. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, so that is actually an imperative, which means that's a commandment that's given. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. All right, so two things. There's two things that we need to do to fight in this battle. What do we need to do? Well, the first one he's gonna say is we need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the second is put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, so, so what does that mean? 
All right, well, first off, he says to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, in weeks past, one of the things that we've said is this. We said that, listen, for as much as we don't understand about this war, there is one thing that we definitely understand about this war, and that's this, that this battle is definitively not about you and I mustering up our own strength and using our own resources to somehow fight evil in our life. That is definitively not what it's about. It's not, not about us being clever. It's not about us being strong. It's not about us mustering up our own strength to fight against the devil. That's not, not what it is, not what it is. It is about finding strength and finding power in God. That's what it is. It's, it's our dependence on him. The Bible is gonna tell us that's gonna give us victory in this. In fact, uh, you might remember over the past couple of weeks, you've been saying it this way. We have to understand in this battle the followers of Jesus are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Okay, so followers of Jesus, and again, I know that's not everyone here today. Some of you might still be investigating Christianity. I want you to know that the invitation is always open for you to follow Christ. But the Bible is gonna say that for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are not fighting for victory in this battle. We are fighting from victory because Jesus has already defeated this enemy and so when we stand with Christ, we actually take on his victory. We, we, we get access to that as well. So the Bible's gonna tell us that. And, and listen, here, here's what I would like to say about that is if over the last couple of weeks, if you have found yourself feeling weak and if you found yourself feeling unqualified to fight this battle that we've been talking about, I actually want you to know that that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing. And why, why is that a good thing? Here's why, and I am... I am 100% convinced of this. Here, here's why I think that this is a good thing. It's because in the Christian life, weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. And let me just say this again, because for those who follow Jesus and those who are investigating Christ, this is so essential to understand about the Christian life, is that in the Christian life, weakness is actually an advantage, and the reason it's an advantage is because dependence, dependence is the objective. Uh, this actually reminds me of something that the Apostle Paul says in another passage. In fact, let me just show it to you. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says this. He says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, notice what he says next. This is so good. He says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardship and persecution and difficulties when I am weak, when I am strong. Now, what's Paul saying here? Is he masochistic? Right? Is he like, I love hardship and persecution because I like pain? No. He says, no, listen, I, I delight in weakness because I know, I know that when I am weak, then I am strong. The math he's doing here is he's saying weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. Let me just say, some of you are coming in here today and you're feeling weak, and you're feeling unqualified, and you're feeling beat up. And let me, just, let me just help you reframe that a little bit. You might be in a better spot than you even know, because you might be in a place where you recognize your dependence on your Father in heaven, and that is an advantage. Um, you know, I was thinking about this this past week, and I, I don't know why this is the illustration that came to my mind. It's kind of lame, but maybe it's helpful. So if it's helpful to you, then it's worth it. But I couldn't help but think of... Um, this whole idea of being strong in the Lord and depending on him, I couldn't help but think of Batman and Robin. I know that came to my mind. You guys remember, remember Batman and Robin? So I guess depending on which generation you lived in, <clears throat> you might like relate with one side of the screen over the other. But you guys remember Robin? You remember his story? Any of you guys remember his story? So Robin, you remember this? He was a kid. He was actually an orphan. And he was um, adopted by Bruce Wayne, like billionaire Bruce Wayne. Remember this? I totally forgot about this until I saw the Lego movie. So he was adopted by Bruce Wayne, billionaire Bruce Wayne. So now Robin has access to all of the mansion, all of you know, Bruce Wayne's resources. And on top of that, he's Batman, right? Bruce Wayne is Batman. And so, so now he has access to the Batcave and all the Bat toys. In fact, Robin becomes a superhero. Batman invites him to join him on his mission to fight crime. Right? And so, so Robin becomes like this sidekick for him. Now, I say all that to say this. What, what is Robin? What is Robin? 
without Batman? And the answer is this. He's just a kid running around in his underwear. That's all he is. He, but Robin is only as strong as he is in proximity to Batman. Bruce Wayne has all the resources, right? Bruce Wayne has all of the prestige. He's Batman. He has all the toys. He has all the gadgets. He is the power behind it. Robin is only as strong as he's in proximity to Batman. Listen, that's a lame analogy, but I think you get the idea. In the Christian life, listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, we are only as strong as we are connected to and we are in proximity to Jesus Christ. That's it. We are adopted as his children. The resources belong to him. He invites us into his mission, but we're not capable of doing that apart from him. And so the Bible is gonna say, first and foremost, we need to be strong in the Lord and we need to be strong in his mighty power. What that's talking about is dependence. We need to depend on him. If we're gonna, if we're gonna stand any chance in this battle, we have to rely on his resources. And that leads to the second commandment because here's the second one. He's gonna say this. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, so the first one is be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So how do we do that? Well, he's gonna go on to tell us how we do that. And the way he does it is with an illustration. And so he says, here's how we do it. We need to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. So for the rest of this passage, He's actually gonna work this metaphor. He's going to elaborate on it. In fact, you see it reiterated. Look down at verse 13 with me for a moment. In verse 13, he reiterates. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So twice now, he gives us this command. He says, you need to put on the full armor of God. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start looking at the armor of God. So we're gonna do this this week and the next coming weeks as well. But before we start picking apart the armor, I think it's important that I just make a couple observations, all right? So these, by the way, these are very obvious observations, and I'm not, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence at all, but I just think it's important and it's clarifying, okay? So here, here's obvious, obvious observation number one, super obvious. Um, I want you to notice that the armor is God's armor. Okay, so again, super obvious. But I think this is important. The Bible's gonna say that this armor is God's armor. So in this illustration, he, Paul doesn't say, uh, put on your armor. That's not what he says. In other words, what he says is, this armor is God. It's God's resources. And I think what that means is that, that what he's talking about when he's talking about the armor is he's talking about benefits that are available to us because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, right? It's his stuff. It's his resources is what he's saying. So that's obvious observation number one. Here's obvious observation number two. The armor is armor. There you go. Yeah, there you have it. So, so some of you are like, wow, that's really profound. And yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to get preaching like this anywhere. You got to come to the Medina campus to get insights like this. The armor is armor. And some of you are like, okay, like what does that mean? Well, here's what I mean. And here's what I'm trying to say. The armor is not pajamas. Like, this isn't called the pajamas of God, right? That's not what it is. And you're like, what do you mean by that? Listen, I think it's just important for us not to miss the, the significance of the metaphor. And what this is telling us is, listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, we just have to understand this, and we have to be reminded of this, that the Bible's going to say that part of the Christian life is that there is a war. There's a war. And you are a soldier in this war. And there is an enemy. And God has given you these resources not to slumber and not to relax, but to fight. That's why he's giving it to us. And so it's not the pajamas of God. It's not like, hey, here's some great stuff for you just to enjoy and soothe yourself with. It's like, no, here's some stuff so you can stand against the enemy. Okay, so the armor's armor. Obvious observation number three. The armor's an illustration Okay, so it's just, what I mean by that is it's, it's a metaphor. And just like any illustration and just like any metaphor, it's gonna break down at some point, right? It's just, he, he's just trying to, he's trying to make a statement about this, about what this, what's, what's happening and what's true spiritually. In fact, uh, commentators point out that most likely when he talks about the armor of God, what he has in mind is probably a Roman soldier. So <clears throat> when Paul writes the book of Ephesians, he's actually in prison in Rome, 
And most likely, uh, he would have been seeing these Roman soldiers all around him. Everyone in the ancient world would have been familiar with the Roman soldier. And so he's probably using this as an illustration, as a metaphor to speak of, speak of something spiritually. And so what I mean by this when I say that the armor is an illustration is that this, this isn't talking about like some mystical, special, secret, mechanical thing. Like when you put the armor on, it's not like... Um, did you guys ever see Harry Potter or did you ever read the Harry Potter books? Remember Expecto Patronum, that thing? Like it's a, so that's, that's not, the armor's not like a magical incantation that you just have to get it just right. And if you do it the right way, you're gonna ward evil off. Like it's not that, okay? So it's just an illustration. So what is it illustrating, right? If it's a metaphor, what is it communicating? And here, here's the best way to think of it. I think that the, that the put on the full armor of God, to put on all the armor of God, is to apply all of the gospel to all areas of, I forgot the word of, of your life. Okay, so that's what it is. What, what is. what is the armor all about? Here's what it's about. It's about all of the armor is applying all of the gospel. And by the way, the gospel, if you're not familiar with that, the gospel is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. And so what, what is the armor? It is putting on all of the gospel. It's applying it to all areas, all areas. How I think, how I feel, how I act, how I see. It's putting it on all areas of my life. That's what the armor is all about. So with that in mind, let's start thinking about the different pieces that are mentioned. So let's read it together. So he's gonna say this, verse 14. He's gonna say, okay, so stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 15, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can, uh, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you notice what he does is he starts to pick apart this illustration and he starts to speak about different parts of armor and he starts to talk about them as a spiritual metaphor. And so I wanna just take some time today and talk about the first one. I just wanna think about the first one. So if you go back to verse 14, he's gonna say, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So actually, I wanna spend pretty much our entire time, the rest of the time that we have, talking about that. What does that mean, the belt of truth buckled around your waist? So here's what I think is really fascinating. This is very interesting. The belt of truth is actually different than all of the other pieces of armor, than all of them. So all of the other pieces of armor that are mentioned, the breastplate, the sword, even the shoes, even the shoes, those were considered either offensive or defensive pieces of pieces of armor. But the belt, the belt was different because it actually wasn't a piece of armor at all. It wasn't offensive and it wasn't defensive. So what was it? What was the belt? Well, actually the belt was actually sometimes called, uh, in when, as it related to the armor, it actually was sometimes called the girdle, the girdle. So that's a fun word to say, girdle. So it's called the girdle. And um, it, what it was is it wasn't a piece of armor, but it was, the, it was the foundation of all of the armor. So it was the first thing you had to do when you put the armor on. So the reason that you would have to wear a belt, the reason that you do this, is because of the kind of clothing that people wore back in this time. So back in this time, what you would wear is you would oftentimes wear, guys would wear a tunic, a tunic. Okay, so if you, if you don't know what a tunic is, it basically looks something like this. Here's an illustration of a tunic. And um, side note, this is completely unrelated to anything. I showed this picture to, uh, to a friend of mine and he goes, dude, he was like, I kind of looks like you. <laughs> I thought, I don't know, what do you think? Yes, what do you guys think, yes or no? Thumbs up, thumbs down, glasses on, maybe something like that, I don't know. So anyway, Completely unrelated. But the tunic, the tunic. So what was a tunic? Here's what a tunic was. It was like a big square piece of material, like fabric. And they basically cut a hole for the head and it cut a holes for the arms and you basically put it on. It's just kind of like this ungathered piece of material is what it was. And so what they would do is whenever it was time to fight, like when it was time to put on the armor, it was time for action, they would take a belt and they would put the belt on and then when they put the belt over their tunic, the next thing they would need to do is, and some of you have heard this before, they would have to, they called it girding up their loins. Did you ever hear that before? Uh, the Art of Manliness website has a diagram of how one girds up their loins. And so there's an instruction on how to do it. My, my favorite step, by the way, 
is that one. That's just really good. But, uh, but that's the idea. So they would take it and they would gird it up. Now, now, actually, I was reading this, and this is actually not entirely correct. It's almost correct, but not entirely. So I have to show you how to do this real quick, okay? So I actually brought, I actually brought, my wife actually made this for me. I said, can you make me a tunic? So she got a sheet and she cut a hole in it. So this is what we got. All right, so, so I want you to check this out for a minute. All right, just for the sake of illustration. All right, so this is my, this is my tunic. All right, so they, they would have holes cut for the sides too, but you get the idea, right? So they'd wear this thing and you'd walk around with it and it was fine for like leisure activity. It was probably pretty comfortable, very free flowing, but you couldn't run in it. You couldn't fight in it because you'd probably trip over everything, right? So what you would do when it was time for battle is you'd want to get your armor on. Well, the first thing you'd have to do is you have to get your belt, right? So you have to get your belt. And this is um, my belt. I actually got this in Montana. It's a longhorn on there. So I'm pretty sure this is what Paul had in mind in his passage. But what they would do is they would take the belt, right? And they'd put it, let's see if I can do this. I gotta get this thing. This is more complicated than I thought. All right, so you put this thing on like this, all right? So over, your, over top of your tunic. And then once you had this on there, it wasn't enough just to have it on because then you had to, you had to gird up your loins, right? How'd you gird up your loins? All right, well, let me show you. So you had to grab, grab all this stuff, grab all this extra material like this, and you would take it and you would bring it and you would tuck it right into your belt, just like, just like this. This is awkward for everybody. I get it, so gird up your loins. And then once your loins were girded, you were ready for action. You're agile, ready to fight, right? Kind of stealthy. So that's how it worked, right? This is the dumbest thing I've ever done today. So there we go. All right. I don't know why. Fine. It's good. I don't, I don't know why we're clapping for that. Out of everything that happened this morning, that's what we're going to clap about. But listen, here's, here's the point. Here's what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, as you enter this battle, the first thing you need to do is you need to, you need to put on the belt of truth. The truth is first is what he's going to say. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, okay, yeah, the belt of truth. So that's talking about the Bible, right? That's what he means. He's talking about the Bible. And let me just say that the answer to that is actually yes, but actually more than that. He's actually talking about something more than just the Bible. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know if you noticed in the list of armor, he actually mentions at the end, he talks about the sword of the spirit. And he says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. He says, that's the word of, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. So doesn't it seem redundant that you'd have the belt, which is the Bible, and then you'd have a sword, which is the Bible. So which one is, is the Bible? So the best that I can understand it, the best I can understand it is like this. What the sword of the spirit is talking about, the sword, that is the objective truth of the Bible. That what the Bible says is objectively true. This is true. And so we use that offensively. We use that outwardly, right? So what's the belt then? Actually, it's interesting. The word belt of truth here is also translated. In fact, some of you might have translations. Belt of truthfulness. Belt of truthfulness. So what is that talking about? Here's what it is. I believe that the belt of truth is taking the objective word of God and it is applying it to oneself subjectively. Like that's what it is. I think it's more than just knowing your Bible. I think it's about taking it in and it's about applying it. It's about taking the truth of God and it's about bringing it into the most private places of your life. I mean, it's called the girdle for crying out loud, right? Here's what it means to put on the belt of truth. I think it means this. I think it means that you take all of your free-flowing thoughts, you take all of your free-flowing feelings, you take all of your free-flowing attitudes and perceptions, and you bring them in and you tuck them into the word of God. You bring them and subject them to what the scripture says objectively. That's what it means to put on the belt of truth. And once you think about this with me for a minute, I just think, you know, this might sound like another obvious observation, but when you think about armor, I think one of the biggest reasons that Paul uses this metaphor is because, and all of us know this, it's because armor is intended to come between me and the weapons. Let's want you to think about this for a minute. What is armor? What is the whole point of armor? The whole point of armor is that armor is supposed to be the closest thing to you, so close to you that it comes between you and the weapons, 
right? That it's the thing that comes between. It's, it's so close to you that nothing else can get in between it. That's the whole point of armor. So what is Paul saying when he says we need to put on the armor of God, we need to put on the, the belt of truth? I think what he's saying is this. God's word and what it says needs to be closer to us than the enemy's lies. What God, said, what God says is true needs to come in between the lies and the accusations that are coming from outside. It needs to be the closest thing to me, I think is what he's saying. And it comes in between me and it comes in between lies. I think what he's saying is this, God's truth needs to be more real to me than my own feelings, than what other people say, than my opinions, than what culture is saying. God's word needs to be the truest thing about me. You know, I think this is really important. And the reason I think this is so important is because I've noticed something. I've noticed something, is for, for those of us who follow Jesus, I've noticed something sometimes about the way that we talk. And um, I've seen it in conversations I've had with Christians. I've seen it in counseling sessions, so many counseling sessions I've seen this. And I'll be honest, I see it in myself. And what I found is that so many times Christians will say stuff like this, all right? See, see if you can relate to this. We'll say stuff like this. We'll say, I know God says blank, fill in your blank, but blank. We'll say this all the time. And so let me give you a couple examples. I know we'll say stuff like this. I know God says, I know God says that I'm forgiven. That if I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, that I'm forgiven by him. I know that scripture says that, but, but I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel that way. I don't feel forgivable. I know God says he forgives me, but I don't know if I can forgive myself. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in sessions with people where they've said that. And they've said, man, that's just, I know what God says. I know what God says, but this is how I feel. And I'll look and I'll say, yeah, but do you know what God says? And the Bible says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I feel, but I feel, but I feel, but I feel. How about this one? Some people will say, man, I know, I know that God says he loves me. I know that God says he has a plan for me, that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him. I know that, but, but, but I can't understand why this is happening. Yeah, but God loves you. I know, I know, I know, but I don't understand. But why would he let, why is he allowing? I know what God says, but, how about this one? I know God says, that he actually wants to use me for his purposes. But man, I just don't think I have anything to offer. Yeah, but, but God says, yeah, but I, but I don't think. Yeah, but God says, yeah, but I don't feel. Yeah, but God says, yeah, but everyone else says, right? You put, put, put all kinds of things, you fill in your blank. You can say, I know God, I know God says I'm created for community. And we're created to be with each other, but but I'm shy, man. I'm, I'm awkward with other people. That's what I am. And, and listen, I want you to, why is it that the truths of God are bouncing off of us? Why is that happening? Do you hear what's happened? Do you, it's so subtle, but do you hear what's happened in the statement? What has happened is this, is we have allowed something else closer than God's word to come into us. There's something else that's the reason that God's truth is bouncing off is because we're holding lies closer. We're holding things that aren't true to be more real to us than what God says about us. So what does it mean to put on the belt, plate, the, 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 the belt of truth? Here's what it means. It means that I take all of my untucked thoughts and all of my untucked feelings and all of my untucked emotions and attitudes and I bring them up and I put them in one location. I bring them into the word of God. And I bring those thoughts to bear on what God's word says. That's what it says. Those things that trip you up, the way you feel and the way you think. And it's bringing those things and it's applying them to the word of God. It's focusing them in those ways. So you gotta understand that this, putting on the belt of truth, is way different than just reading the Bible. The belt of truth is so much more than just reading the Bible. There are plenty of Christians who read the Bible. That's true. There's plenty of us who read the Bible. But I think we all know this. There's a big difference between reading the Bible and letting the Bible read you. It's very different. 
See, because it's, it's, not about, it's not about how deeply you study scripture. It's about how deeply are you allowing scripture to study you. See, we, we shouldn't come to the Bible and just scan it looking for things that we like and things that we don't like. We need to come to the Bible for those of us who follow Jesus. And we need to let it scan us and determine what it likes and what it needs to change. And I think when we're talking about the belt of truth, that's what we're talking about. It's not just about knowing the word, it's about taking it in. And I'm just gonna ask you, when is the last time you approached the Bible that way? Where you opened it up and you said, man, this is, this is the words of God. And this is the voice of my father. And this needs to be more real to me and more true to me than what I feel or how I think or what everyone else is saying. This needs to be the closest thing to me. So I think that's what it means to put on, that's what it means to put on the belt of truth. So what does it mean then? Well, I think what it means is it means to take this script and to flip it. We gotta flip the script. And we have to get in the habit of saying, I know blank. I know what I feel. I know what I think. I know what everyone else is saying. I know what seems real. I know what everything else looks like. But God says this. And what God says is true. And what God says is real. And I'm bringing that up into his truth. That's what it means, I believe, to put on the belt plate, the belt, the belt of, of truth. I think um, part of this is actually probably what the Apostle Paul has in mind in another passage, in, the, in 2 Corinthians, I wanna show you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice what Paul says here. He says, uh, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So what's he saying here? Do you notice? He says, listen, even though we're in the world, we don't fight like the world fights. That's not how we fight. We have different weapons. And what are the weapons? Well, look what he says next. He says, for we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Do you notice that the words that I have highlighted on the screen, what is the primary battle place of this, of this battle? What is, the, what, is the, what is the battleground of this battle? Do you notice arguments, knowledge that sets itself up against God, every thought, What's that talking about, man? It's talking about ideological systems of thinking and thought. It's the way that we think. That's what he's talking about. And so what do we need to do? He says we need to take every thought captive and we need to make it obedient to Christ. I think that's a beautiful image, by the way. It's a powerful image. Basically, what he says is this. Imagine taking something captive, right? Basically, he's saying, don't let every thought just run around in your head. Don't just, don't just let that happen. He says, you need to go after your thoughts. You need to apprehend your thoughts. You need to arrest them. And then you need to drag them. You need to drag them to Jesus. You need to drag them to scripture. And you need to say, does this line up or not? And if it doesn't, he says, then you just gotta go. It's gotta go. You gotta hold it captive. And this is what he's talking about in this passage is he's saying, we gotta take every thought, every feeling, everything, and we gotta pull that up and we gotta bring it obedient to Jesus Christ. I think that right there is what he's talking about when he's talking about the belt of truth. And listen, this is, this is so important for some of you to hear. And for some of you, maybe you, God brought you here this morning just so you can hear this. But let me just tell you this. Don't believe everything you think. Just don't believe everything you think. Don't let every thought just run around in your head and determine how you live and how you act and how you behave and how you feel. The Bible's gonna say you have to take it captive and you gotta bring it to God's word and you need to make it, you need to make it obedient to what Christ says. I, I just know there's some of us today who are maybe stuck in our spiritual growth and effectiveness because we're just letting some lie determine how we live our lives. And listen, for some of us, we even know that. We're aware, we're like, I know it's a lie. God says this, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you're, cho- you're just choosing to embrace it. The enemy is an accuser, he's a liar, he's an opposer. Why would we ever let his lie speak more loudly than what God's word says is true? And so how do we do it? How do we do it? Here's how we do it. 
followers of Jesus, we need to get really good at this. We need to get really good at naming the lie and embracing the truth. We need to get increasingly better at this, that we can name the lie, identify the lie, confess the lie, and then we can take the truth and we can embrace it and we can put it into our life. So how do we do that, you might ask? Let's talk first about naming the lie. Some of you might be saying, well, how do you know that you're believing a lie? How do you recognize that? And uh, what I would say is this. Remember what we said at the beginning? We said that we need to be strong in the Lord and we need and in his mighty power. So we need to look for him. We need to look to him. What resources has God given us to be able to identify lies? Well, I'll just name a few. Here's one. How about this? Prayer. That's huge. Um, this is, this is massive. God has given us, he has purchased for us the freedom to speak to him freely. And so listen, you can talk to God, like, you, like even like right now, you can say, God, is there any lie, is there any area of my life right now that I'm believing a lie that is keeping me from what it is that you desire? From? You can ask him that right now. And I could, listen, I could, give you, I could give you 10 steps to recognize lies in your life, but that wouldn't be nearly as valuable as just you talking to God and asking him. I think if you do pray that way, I think it takes honesty. I think it takes humility. I think you have to be willing to hear from him. But listen, you can talk to him. I mean, even right now in this moment, you can ask him, God, is there anything? Is there anything that I'm not seeing? Is there something that I'm allowing to define me that's not true about me. Would you reveal that to me? Would you show that to me? I'm telling you, I think he wants to answer that prayer. So he's given us prayer. How about this? One of the greatest things he's given us is each other. He's given us community. I mean, the Bible's gonna tell us this is an incredible gift that God has given us. In fact, Ephesians 4 is gonna say it's impossible for us to grow into maturity without being connected to other followers of Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you, man, get connected. This is why things like life groups are so valuable. Things like discipleship relationships, being connected to other people, actually knowing other people and allowing them to know you. Like we need to, we need to speak truth to each other. We need to help each other see lies because the truth is all of us have blind spots. And just like all of us, I don't, I don't know what those blind spots are. I need other people to help me identify those. And for that, God has given us community, And then, of course, he's given us his word. He's given us the Bible. What an incredible resource God has given us. If you want to identify lies in your life, there's no better way to do that than study what is true. If you want to understand something that's counterfeit, just look at the authentic thing. It's going to help you understand and identify when something is false. And so we need to name the lie, and then we need to embrace the truth. And some of you are like, so how do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways, but I just give you a few. I think first off is this. We need to saturate ourselves in the word of God. Just saturate ourselves in the Bible and what it says. I think this is why it's so important for followers of Jesus to be continually pursuing a deeper knowledge of the Bible. Listen, it's, it's not because we just want to become eggheads. It's not just be, because we want to become people who have like all of these theological you know, musings the reason that we do it is because we understand that this is, this is a war and that the battle place is oftentimes for truth and lies. And so we need to know the truth and we need to know it increasingly more. And so what does that look like? Does it look like doing a reading plan? Sure. Does it look like studying the Bible on my own? Yes. Does it look like listening to podcasts? Yep. Does it look like memorizing the Bible? Uh-huh. Does it look like Studying the Bible in community, yep. Does it look like coming here and going to church and being part of a community where we're centered around God's word? Yes, listen, all the above. It means all of the above. But it's just, here, here's, here's, here's my point, is do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to grow in your understanding of what God's word says? I think for many of us, if we really care about something, we have a plan, right? Some of you guys have financial plans, retirement plans. You have plans for your kids and the opportunities that you're aligning. It's all lined up. You have it all figured out. And yet we don't have a plan for how we're going to saturate ourselves in the truth of God's word. So I think we got to saturate ourselves in it. On top of that, I would say this. Here's something practical. I think we need to sing the truth. I think that, man, I think this is a very practical way of how we can embrace God's truth is sing it. 
in song. And, uh, you know, in the Bible, it's gonna say in so many different places that we should sing hymns and spiritual truths to one another. We should be doing that. Can I just tell you personally, this has been huge for me. This has been tremendously helpful. I'm I'm the kind of person who, uh, I love music. I've always loved music my whole life. And it used to be that whenever I was feeling, like if I was feeling depressed or if I was feeling down or if I was feeling angry or if I was feeling frustrated, I would try to find music that would match and reinforce my mood. And so I just listened to like sad music and feel sad, or I'd listen to like heavy metal and feel angry or whatever it was. And I would listen to these songs and oftentimes they would reinforce the lies that I was already believing. And I had to start to learn, I need to, I need to actually listen to music that's going to, re, it's going to reaffirm the things that God says. I need to preach this stuff to myself. And so it's been so helpful to me. One of the songs I've been listening to pretty much like nonstop on repeat since we started this series is um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Man, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that song. There's so many versions out there. So no matter what genre you like, there's like the hymn version and there's like the heavy metal version. But, but the cool thing about it is, man, the lyrics. Oh my gosh, if you've ever listened to that song, it's like right out of Ephesians 6. It's powerful stuff. It's been tremendously helpful for me. Saturate, sing, and then Here's the last thing I would say is pray. Pray God's word to, to God and, and into yourself. I love um, J.D. Greer is a pastor in uh, North Carolina. And he actually wrote something. It's called the gospel prayer. And he says that he prays this pretty much every day, every day as a way of reminding himself the truth of the gospel. And here, here's what it is. I'll just put it on the screen. I love this prayer. He prays this every day. He says, because I'm in Christ, number one, there's nothing I have done that could make you love me less. And there's nothing I could do that would make you love me more. I love that. What, what is he doing here? You notice what he's doing? He's taking the truth of the gospel. He's applying it to the way he thinks. There's nothing, he, what he's doing is he's debunking the lie that I am accepted because of my performance. That's not true. And so the second thing, you are all I need for everlasting joy. I love that. What's he doing? He's proclaiming what's true. He's also debunking the lie. What's the lie? That something else in this life is gonna bring me more joy than God. It's not true. It's not true. The third thing, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. I love that. The way that you've treated me needs to be the way that I treat other people. So I'm looking to you to do that. Help me not to respond and react to the people who are around me. Help me to respond and react to what you've done for me. Awesome. Last thing, as I pray, I'll do so according to the compassion that you've shown at the cross and the power you demonstrated through the resurrection. I love that. He says, I'm gonna look at the cross as an act of compassion. It's my example. And then the power to live is through the resurrection. And he prays this to himself every day. And I love that. That's a really practical. Maybe for you, you need to find this prayer. Like I said, it's called the gospel prayer. You can download it. Maybe you need to put it in your car, put it on your mirror. I don't know. Saturate yourself in the thing. But here's the point. Bottom line is this, is that to put on all of the armor of God is to apply all of the gospel to all areas of your life. And that is what the rest of the armor is all about. What's the breastplate of righteousness? It's taking the gospel and it's applying it to the way that I feel. It's saying that that's the closest thing to me. My my heart, I'm protecting my heart, right? What is the helmet? The helmet is I'm taking the gospel. I'm applying it to my thinking, how I view others, how I think about myself. What is the gospel on my feet? What am I doing? I'm applying the gospel to how I stand, the ground that I stand on and how I move and act in life. And all of the armor is about taking all of the gospel and applying it to all areas of life. And the Bible says that when we do that, we can take our stand. We can take our stand, to stand in the truth of God. I'm asking the band to come up and as they do, there's just one last thing that I wanna say before we pray. And that's this, that is, if you're a person who's watching or who's here today and you are investigating Christ, and so you're exploring Christianity, listen, I just feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you this, that, that everything we're talking about, the benefits and the forgiveness and the truth of the gospel, all of that, I just want you to know that that is all available to you. It is, and, I, and I, wanna, I wanna help debunk the myths that come around 
what it, how, it, how a person actually gets connected with God. And so let me just tell you that if you wanna come to Jesus and you wanna put your faith in him, that you don't need to clean up your life first to do that. That's a lie. Okay? You, don't, you, don't, you don't have to be a person who grew up in church your whole life and who behaves well enough to be accepted by God. That's just not how it works. And if you wanna come to Jesus and if you wanna begin to follow him, you can do that now. You can start to follow him and he wants to do that. He wants to accept you and he wants to forgive you. And all you need is need. You just need to come to him and say, I wanna follow you. I wanna dedicate my life to you. And for some of you, maybe you've never done that before. And I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that today. You don't need to clean your life up. You don't need to be a perfect person. There's no such thing as a perfect person. You don't need to come to church faithfully for X amount of time before you're worthy enough to be accepted by God for his forgiveness. That's just not how it works. We just come to him. We say, I want to follow you and I need you. And I'm telling you, if you tell him that right now, he'll meet you where you are. And and the victory is already his and that victory can be yours in Christ. And so I would encourage you, Maybe for you, talk to him, talk to him, talk to God, tell him you wanna follow him and you can start following him today. For the rest of us, we're gonna sing some songs and I would encourage us as we sing to not just sing words, don't just sing words, sing truth and allow the truth of God not just to hit your ears, but to impact your heart as we sing these things together. Let's pray. Well, God, I do just wanna say thank you that you have given us your word Thank you that you have uh, not left us unaware of how to stand in a battle that we don't understand. Thank you, God, that we can be strong in what you've done for us and that you've given us truth. So help us, God, not to be people who just know the truth, but don't bring it into our life and don't actually allow it to impact the way that we view ourselves and the way we view others. Help us to take our feelings and our thoughts and our actions, Lord, and help us to submit those things to what your word says. I pray that your word and your truth will be the closest thing to us, even closer than lies and closer than accusations. Father, I pray for each person who's here today and who's watching. God, I pray we'd be blessed for having heard your word today and that we'd be changed for it. We ask it in Jesus' name.